We're going to jump back into this chapter on the sacraments from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And um, we, we began to think in basic terminology last week. And what I want to, want to do now is look at some of the, the specific statements that appear in the confession and, and trace where the Westminster Assembly was in the scriptures deriving these truths from. And the reason I want to do this, I think it's very important to lay a firm foundation before we delve into baptism and the Lord's Supper. Well, this is a very much a preparatory chapter to, uh, to baptism and the Lord's Supper. And this reflects the, the fundamental importance of the sacraments to the church, as well as the fact that they were subject to heated disagreement during the period of the Reformation you have read anything about that time period, you'll know that Catholics, Lutherans, Zwinglians, Anabaptists, and Calvinists differed at various points of the sacraments. But perhaps the most important distinction was between the Roman Catholic view of the sacraments and the Protestant view. And that really forms the background of chapter 27. A lot of the statements are are biblical reasonings to counter the erroneous views of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, if you have read Calvin's Institutes, this chapter draws heavily from, from Book 4, Chapter 15 of Calvin's Institutes. In fact, if you read that, it really follows Calvin point by point. But last Lord's Day, we thought about that term, how the term sacramentum, the Latin term sacramentum, it's not a biblical term, but we trace the origin of that term, and it meant a, a pledge. It was used for sort of a military oath. But diving a bit deeper, uh, we want to ask, how, did that, how was that word then integrated into uh, the Latin translation of the Bible? The Latin Vulgate ver version of the Bible used this term, the Latin term, sacrament or sacramentum to translate the Greek word for mystery. And we need to understand that when the Bible uses the word mystery, it's, it's a bit different than the way we think of it. But the Bible has in view something hidden that has now been revealed. Before we came to know Christ, salvation and the gospel was a mystery to us. But it's no longer a mystery. It's been revealed to us. And, and Calvin, uh, who was drawing from the church father Augustine, uh, talks about this, this idea of the, the sacraments being mysteries. He says that they are signs which reverently represented sublime and spiritual truths. You can get that sense that, that, that the sacraments are there to help us understand, to reveal to us the mysteries of the gospel. But let's walk through some of these points in, in chapter 27. So first, let's think about uh, the spiritual relation and the sacramental union that we find um, in the sacraments. <clears throat> We thought last week about how the scriptures teach that the sacraments are signs and seals 
of the covenant of grace. And that means they signify and seal something very real and true. And thus this wording in section two, that there is in every sacrament a spiritual relation or sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified whence it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. The scripture proofs that are attached uh, to this statement gives us insight to how the Westminster Assembly uh, came to this conclusion from the scriptures. Let me give you a few examples of, of the scriptures that they cite. Genesis 17.10, God calls circumcision my covenant. Was circumcision the covenant? No, it was a sign of the covenant, but that's how God spoke. In the New Testament, we see this pattern continue. Jesus took that cup of wine in the upper room, and he said, this cup is the blood of the covenant, or the new covenant in my blood. Was that cup really the covenant in his blood? No, it signified, it pointed to the covenant in his blood. Paul, speaking of baptism in Titus 3.5, refers to the washing of regeneration. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.21 that baptism saves you. Now, we need to be careful. We need to understand how our God is talking with us. And what the, the, the confession does, it's offering us a guideline for reading the Bible when it comes to the sacraments. And in general, when we're reading the Bible, when we're interpreting it, we really need to be thinking about, okay, how is the Lord talking to us? How is he explaining these things to us? And I really think, I'll include myself in this, but, but I think in our our culture today, we've become very lazy readers. We don't take time to really think about the context. You know, think about this. Imagine, you know, you were telling, you're trying to explain someone. You, you went to uh, track me and someone was running really fast and you said to someone else, it was amazing. He was flying. And the other person said, wait a second. That's a pot where you have track meat and people can't fly. What are you talking about? We don't interact with you. We know how we talk to each other. We know we use uh, certain figures of speech and way of talking. And I think we need to recognize that in the Bible as well. Even though the Lord speaks to us this way, we, we interpret these things in light of the other uh, truths in Scripture. We know that the water of baptism doesn't save, but it points to the Christ who saves and who washes us. The bread and the wine, they don't become the body and blood of Christ, but they, they point us to the Christ who gave his body and shed his blood for us. We know that the Lord suffered. It does not save, but it points us to the one sacrifice of Christ that saves. And again, 
maybe to use another example, if you know you you found a very ill or injured person on the side of the road, and you're you're driving along, you see the sign for the hospital, and you you point to that sign, you're like, that's what's going to save you. You don't mean the sign's going to save them. You mean the reality behind that sign is going to save them. And that's how the Lord talks to us about the sacraments. And moreover, as we, we think particularly about the Lord's Supper, I think I had a seminary professor who always used to say, don't, don't impute your ignorance to the Old Testament saints. <laughs> And I think the same could be true of the disciples in the upper room and how they understood Jesus' words. And we need to ask ourselves, how would, how would any reasonable person have understood Jesus' words? When he said, this is my body, this is my blood. It wasn't Jesus' body was right there. His blood was still in his body. They would have understood that it wasn't the actual body and blood of Jesus. And, and likewise, in that same upper room, the, the disciples would have heard Jesus teach that only he can save. Think about some of the things that he said in and around the institution of the Lord's Supper. He said, believe, you believe in God, believe also in me. In John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus was instructing them, he was teaching them how to view the sacraments. And he was showing us that he is the end and the focus of the sacraments. This is what they point to. So secondly, let's think about this language of grace exhibited in or by the sacraments. And this is section three. It says that the grace which is exhibited in or by the sacraments rightly used, is not conferred by any power in them, neither does the efficacy of a sacrament depend on the piety or the intention of him that doth administer it, but upon the work of the Spirit and the word of institution, which contains together with a precept authorizing the use thereof a promise of benefit to worthy receivers. So the confession articulates here the, the biblical truth that when rightly observed with faith, the sacraments exhibit or they pre present or they provide grace to those who partake in faith. But they're, they're careful here to note that they're, they're not automatic channels of grace. That the efficacy of the sacraments is found in the work of the Holy Spirit and in the word of God, this is not the first time the confession has put the work of the spirit and the, and the word of God together. And it, it, it mentions the, um, the word of institution showing us that it is, it is the Lord that authorized and commanded the use of sacraments that he wants us to observe and benefit from. Then there's this statement that makes um, Matt and I feel better about ourselves, that it doesn't depend on the piety <laughs> of those who administer. And we might wonder, why did, why did they put that in there? 
it's countering the Roman Catholic view that told at the time that the sacrament was only effective when the priest had the intention to rigorously follow the order of the church. It was the order of the church at the time? I'm going to butcher, butcher my Latin that the sacraments were ex opere operata, that it was on the basis of the action performed that they were effective. And I think here we need to make distinctions and we need to avoid pendulum swings. You know, it's theological pendulum swings happen all the time and they're never a good thing. You know, I maybe referred to one of them this morning. It's like we want to react against those who say Jesus was only a man. Well, we, we swing the other way and we completely neglect the humanity of Jesus. And we could do the same thing with the sacraments. Now, here, and I'll expound on this comment on the efficacy of the sacraments, of how we look at them. And Calvin, again, he cites Augustine, and he outlines two errors that have to be avoided. He says the first vice is for us to receive the signs as though they had been given in vain to cause them to be wholly fruitless in us. Now, I think that's that's a relevant, that's a relevant error for us to take note of, because I think that is what we have seen in modern American Protestant Christianity. It's a reaction against the erroneous view of the Roman Catholic Church, and we have so swung to the other side that the sacraments have been downplayed. There are some evangelical churches. I there, there was a church uh, where we lived in in Pittsburgh, a mega church, and, and I had asked one of the pastors, you know, do you guys, you know, how do you do the sacraments? It, we do it like very privately on Wednesday night. You can that that's indicative of their view that the sacraments really aren't that big of a deal for the church. So we need to be aware of that. Of, downplaying the sacraments of underemphasizing them but then calvin goes on to say the second vice is by not lifting our minds beyond the visible sign to credit to it, credit for those benefits in other words putting our faith in the sign itself let me start again. Not letting our minds beyond the visible sign to transfer it, the credit, for those benefits which are conferred upon us by Christ alone. And they are conferred through the Holy Spirit who makes us partakers of Christ. In other words, not fighting the fight of faith and meditating and really thinking and looking beyond the sign. What is the sign pointing to? Pointing to Jesus, his sacrifice, his work. And I think we would do well to take heed to that warning as well, because we need to ask ourselves, when we come to the Lord's table, are we really coming with the eyes of faith? 
Are we putting in the time to prepare? Are we, are we diligently taking in uh, the word of God before we come so we can not stop at the sign, but look by faith to the realities? Thirdly, let's think about the, the minister and administration of the sacrament. Section four, it, it summarizes the biblical truth that there are only two sacraments and that it does matter who administers those sacraments. And early Christian writings confirm this, that the church understood the Bible to give only two sacraments and they understood there shall be an ordained minister of the gospel who administers those sacraments. That section says there be only two sacraments ordained by Christ our Lord in the gospels. That is to say, baptism and the supper of the Lord, neither of which may be dispensed by any but a minister of the word lawfully ordained. Now, again, the proof text here can tell us where there where the assembly got these truths from. And one of the proof texts is what I read from 1 Corinthians 11. And it's almost certain as we read about the disaster uh, in the Corinthians church, it's almost certain that they had gone ahead and administered the Lord's Supper themselves. And from Paul's words, it was clear it was a complete disaster. People were grabbing whatever they wanted. People were getting drunk. And Paul's response and rebuke was what? It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. It's interesting. Some commentators even argue that all this was taking place in a person's home, away from corporate worship. And it's, that's one of the proof texts for this truth that the sacraments are to be distributed decently and in order by an ordained servant of God. There, there must be a minister to provide the words of institution, the words of warning, the words of invitation. And the Old Testament sacraments offer similar parallels for the New Covenant Church. In the Old Testament, we read about those who perform the holy Rites, the, the, the priests, they, they were only those who were called by God to do that. In Hebrews 5.4, the, the writer just alludes to this, like, this is a given. He says, and no one, talking about being a priest, no one takes this honor to himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. If we read the Old Testament, when self-appointed, non-ordained people or even ordained people stray outside of the Lord's commands, it never ends well for them. And the Lord's not striking anyone down like he used to. The, 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 the principle remains. We need to, I think, beware of self-appointed people in the church. There's nothing special about ministers, but there is something special about being called to that office. And more, we're going back to the how the 
the term sacramentum was used to translate the, uh, the word mystery or mysteries. We could say if the sacraments are gospel mysteries, and if Paul says this of ministers in 1 Corinthians 4.1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And we read in the Great Commission where Jesus commanded the sacraments, but also teaching. As one writer said, he said, it, was, it is clear that this is a charge given to the church's ordained teachers. Finally, and briefly here, it's underlined that there were two sacraments, Old Covenant and New, that signified and sealed the same truths. And again, I want to underline for you, I think this is a very, very important truth to grasp in order to understand the sacraments. That the sacraments of the Old and New Testament, in regard of the spiritual things thereby signified and exhibited, were for substance the same as those of the New. Basically, what that means is that circumcision was the antecedent to baptism. The Passover, the antecedent to the Lord's Supper. And we make a critical error if we begin our theology of the sacraments in the New Testament. <clears throat> because there is much. We, I think we can read the New Testament and say, Lord, why didn't you give us more? Because there's not a whole lot. And that's because it is built on the foundation of those sacraments of circumcision and the Passover. They signify and seal the same things. And I hope to get you thinking in this way as we think about baptism and the Lord's Supper. Let me give you a few passages. And what I want you to listen for is how the... Old Testament, Old Covenant language is just woven right in with New Covenant language. First uh, Corinthians 10, 1 to 4, Paul uses the image of baptism, but listen how he does it. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So there's sort of a double reference there. Baptized into Moses when they went through the sea. See, what was happened? They were separated from Egypt permanently. And now they were with Moses, and he's drawing that parallel now. When we are saved by grace, we are separated uh, from this world, from our sins. We are baptized into Jesus. Also the same spiritual food, the same spiritual drink. Many take that to be a reference to Passover and now the Lord's Supper. Like they symbolize, they seal the same thing, the rock Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8, we read some of it for our call to worship. And again, Passover language is 
brought together with language about the Lord's Supper. And it is clear that Paul has in view here that Christ was the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the whole lump, you may be a new lump, as you really are, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, in other words, the Lord's Supper, with, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity, truth. And then one more from Colossians. Again, this idea that the circumcision, though it was replaced by baptism, these signify and seal the same thing. Paul writes, in him, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So even though the sacraments changed in their outward form to reflect the finished work of Jesus, they signified, exhibited, they sealed the very same things. Well, what were those things? It was Jesus, his work for us, his death on the cross, his resurrection. And again, I, I would ask you to please think about that and, and tuck it in your minds for our, our study as we approach the study of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you might continue to instruct us by your word, sanctify us. Lord, we pray that you would inform our understanding of the sacraments, that they might hold a more valuable place in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would give us, Lord, the the eyes of faith to look beyond the signs to the reality that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We pray in his name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.